Thrive Leadership Podcast in three, two, cue music. This is the Thrive Leadership Leadership Podcast. Podcast. It's a place to connect you to nationally acclaimed leaders, their insights, and ideas on how to help you thrive in every area of your life. life. On today's episode, Chris Brown. You cannot build a healthy church unless you have a healthy team. And it is impossible to build a healthy team unless you're a healthy leader. You've got to be healthy. And then if you're healthy, you're going to enjoy the benefits, fulfilling that, and you're going to make sure your team's healthy. And if you've got a healthy leader and a healthy team, I promise you your church will be healthy. Now your hosts, Brad Lominick and CJ Alvarado. Bienvenida to the Thrive Leadership Podcast. Wow. Otherwise known as welcome back. And it's bienvenido. Oh, sorry. Bienvenido. There you go. CJ Alvarado, my Spanish-speaking friend, <laughs> Brad Lominick here with you. Yes. Bienvenido. There you go. Welcome That's to it. the Thrive Leadership Podcast. We are your host. On this journey, we're going somewhere. Especially today, we're going somewhere. Oh my goodness! Especially with this conversation with Chris Brown. Whew. Man, you talk about a leadership goldmine. Yes. When you get out the old pickaxe <laughs> and start chipping away at Chris Brown, right? You know what you get? You get leadership gold. You get gold. Absolutely, That's good man. And gold he delivers. Yeah. You, Chris it, is like the guy. We just ask a very simple question, and the guy just goes, and nuggets just keep coming. He's got a lot of wisdom, a lot mm. of experience. Co-pastor of, of North Coast down in the North San Diego area, right in between San Diego and Orange County. Longtime friend, speaker, host. Yes. Part of the Thrive Tribe, you could say. Yep. He's not on the team, but he is on the team, right? He's very much on this team. Yeah. yeah. We could not do the kind of things we do here at Thrive without guys like Chris Brown. And speaks all over the country, spoken at all the, you know, the big conferences and one of the best communicators out there, not just in the church, but in general. The guy can absolutely shuck the corn, as we like to say in <laughs> Oklahoma growing up. When somebody was a great communicator, we would say they can really shuck the corn. So wow. Go ahead and use that one, people. Mm -hmm. If you needed a new phrase to bring to your friends that they would go, now where'd you get that? You don't even have to give me credit. Just go ahead and use that one. Just take it. Yeah, just take that one. Shut the corn. Look how generous you are. There you go. Thank you, Brad, for the contribution. Well, I would say this at this point, let's get to Chris Brown. Yes. Because it's so good. You're going to enjoy this. This is our conversation with co-pastor, teaching pastor, overall great communicator, North Coast Church, Chris Brown. Good to have you here, buddy. Great to be here. Gonna, I still don't know what I'm doing here, we're gonna but talk, let's go. We're going to talk leadership. This is the Thrive oh. Leadership Podcast. Okay. Obviously, uh, your host, all the people that make He's this shaking. Thrive Conference He's happen. trembling. They haven't prefaced you on what's about to happen in this game-changing next few minutes they of your life. They no. haven't. I'm a little worried. We're trying to keep we've it got, real. We've got tens of listeners all <laughs> over the globe that are tuning in to hear what you have to say on leadership. Well, I'd like to welcome all tens of you. This is going to be a short conversation on leadership, <laughs> but it should be a humorous one, so stay tuned. So if you don't know Chris Brown, he is a teaching pastor, an all-around good guy. He is one of the, the great communicators, I would say, of our generation. I know, oh, that's, okay. I know that's throwing out some heavy, yeah. heavy things to live up to. If one of, you mean in the top 75,000 or so in the U.S., <laughs> I'll take of. it. One yeah, of. I'm one of those. One of. Yep. You've been part of, of North Coast for how many years? Uh, 14 years now down at North Coast in northern San Diego County. Loving the church down there. What were you doing before that? Uh, I was the campus pastor at Azusa Pacific University. And uh, before that, I was a youth pastor for 14 years. So loving life in high school and college ministry and never thought I'd be doing adult ministry. Never thought I'd be doing that real pastor type thing. Uh, But uh, as you get older in life and get a little slower and uh, the senior pastor thing kicked in and basically North Coast Church is just a youth group. Um, 
full of some gray-haired people and middle-aged That's a great and way younger. to describe it. Yeah. Love that. You really are one of, the, one of the great communicators in the church today. I, I'd say that with true sincerity. I want to ask you tr- about communicating. Now, I know you're looking at me funny. You're looking at me cross-eyed. But you, you are a, a very good I do have an incredible gift. I do admit that. It is amazing. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you for acknowledging this. It is That's an amazing we're gift. We're looking for a little arrogance. Right. It's a little, not arrogance. A little, a little it's confidence. True. See, if I said I've worked at an amazing talent and I've made myself amazing, that's arrogance. When you say I have an amazing gift, you had nothing to do with that. Exactly. It was something that was given to you. That's it's, a really you know, good I give an incredible. My boy went with me on a trip to um, Ecuador, and I told him he was ten years old, and I said I don't know if he's quite ready to go on a mission trip with me, but we're going to take him with Compassion International. And I said we're going to go on a three strike system. If I have to tell you to do things more than once, and if you're not getting along with the program, I'm going to get a strike. To, if you can get through these, I think it was seven days and not have three strikes, I'll give you the pocket knife you always wanted. And uh, he wanted the Swiss Army knife with everything. And he got through that entire trip with only one strike. Only one morning did he not want to get up and go. And I'm like, you don't understand. We're leaving this hotel. We're getting on the bus. We're not coming back to this hotel. I don't care. I want to stay here. And I'm like, that's a strike. And he got up and out of bed. And that was the only thing. For a 10-year-old on a mission trip, amazing. That's pretty impressive. Uh, that's awesome. He got that Swiss Army knife, and he showed it to all of his buddies. He did not let go of that thing for like the first two weeks. And I, as a dad, was so proud that I gave my son a gift that he just wanted to show off to everyone. Mm. I think if we can look at how we're wired and made and realize that is simply a gift, then there is no arrogance to it. He can't walk around and go, I made this. Look at this knife I put together. And it's like, no, it was simply something dad gave him. And my teaching, I don't have a lot of gifts. I have a teaching ability, and I have a pretty crazy personality that used in the right direction can help people. (laughs) Used in the wrong direction, it has hurt a lot of people. And... uh, and it's simply a gift that Dad's given me. I was not born saying, hey, I'm going to choose storytelling. Uh, it's not something I grew up going, man, I'm not a storyteller, but I really want to learn how. I've had it from the beginning in life. When did you re- recognize that that was something that had been birthed in you, designed into you? Uh, I have little videos, home movies, and pictures of it before my recognition of any time the family got together, I wanted to stand up in front of everyone and do a song or perform, even in my diapers. I wanted to do the little family plays when I was three and four at the Urena time. I didn't realize it was a spiritual gift into probably my 20s, but I was always the class clown. I was getting kicked out of class. I was the coolest guy in the locker room as far as I could tell the events of Friday night better than they happen Monday at school. And so I was always the guy with people around the locker talking about what happened Friday night, and people were like, I was there. I'm not sure if that's accident. I'm like, shut up, just listen. <laughs> um, and so I always had this. I never knew it was a spiritual gift for the kingdom. I just always knew I had a loud mouth and people couldn't get me to shut up. But there wasn't one like eureka moment sitting under a tree, apple hits you in the head, and you go, ah, this no. is... That's when I discovered gravity. Um, <laughs> no, but the gift, it wasn't. It was just... Well played. <laughs> yes, he got that. Strong. He's fast. No, it was doing some youth ministry stuff and realizing I was trying to teach like other people. And I think that's, you know, if you're talking about leadership, my heart passion when I talk to leaders is be who God created you to be and stop trying to be someone else mm. and stop trying to run your church like someone else and stop trying to lead someone else's program. The only church in ministry you can ever lead with fulfillment is the type of church and ministry you want to go to. And it's the one that's birthed in you. And uh, early on, even as a youth pastor, I was trying to be other communicators. This is what a real pastor is like. This is what a real teaching is. And all I want to do is tell stories and just make kids laugh. And then I tried to find Bible verses to go with that story to make it, you know, spiritual. 
And I didn't realize until probably my third, fourth year into youth ministry that, wait, God created me to tell his stories, not mine. Mm. Why can't you jump into the text and see the Bible, real places, real people, real time, and tell it as if you were there because you've walked the pages and then you've come out and then lead people back into the pages. And that's when I realized, wow, my whole life of trying to be comedy and make people laugh and telling stories was actually given to me for this purpose. And when you find not just what your gift is, but you find what you've been given to do with it, oh, the sweet spot of life. That's great, man. There is such power in finding that place because so many of us are searching for it. And the reason that we are insecure is because we haven't found it yet. But once you find it, which is true in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, it doesn't matter, then you actually become more humble because you're more self-aware and you're actually dialed in more to your calling and yeah. you're in that sweet spot. And that might not have anything to do with church or ministry. I mean, right. I, I love leading men and women in the marketplace who are incredibly successful to realize, okay, that's what you've been given to do. Now find out your kingdom purpose mm. in that. And watching them realize, oh my gosh, I was made to create wealth to meet the needs mm. of others. Not to tip, not to tithe, but to really to meet the needs of others. Wow, I was given this incredible administration ability, not just to build my company, but to how I do it in the kingdom. And to realize the employees that are given to you now, um, that is your church. Yeah. They'll never walk into the doors of mine, but that is your church. Now, how do you lead a company where you instill that in the lives of others? And So trying to find people in all walks of life to go, you've got a God-given gift. Where's your kingdom role in that, not just your secular role? Love it. One of the things that I love about Thrive, this brand, this movement, this community, is nobody takes themselves too seriously. You are like the case study of somebody that walks out on stage and says, here I am in my flip-flops, my golf shirt, and we're going. There's a lot of leaders who walk out and they've like went to buckle the day before and got the jeans that are too tight, that are really uncomfortable. All my jeans are tight, by the way. I just, <laughs> even the ones I buy that bag, you give me about six yeah. months and I'm yeah, like, yeah. man, these are tight too. <laughs> They got that shirt with the you know the big cross on the back, the afflict, affliction shirt that Man. is like the massive cross that right. you know they thought was cool. I'm glad I didn't wear that they, today. They feel, they feel like they got to come out there with this with this thing working. Yeah, right. and you walk out and it's mm. a confidence. So that comes from somewhere. I want you to talk about that because yeah. it's refreshing. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because there's a lot of leaders trying to fake it. Okay, and I haven't thought this through enough, and I don't think I'm wise enough and experienced enough to really put this into a package. It's a Chris Brown-ism. Um, I think good leaders really know who they are as a leader. Great leaders truly know who they are not as a leader. Mm, that's good. And I, I spent the majority of my first 10 years in ministry trying to become something I'm not, trying to live up to expectations that I could never live up to. And I always had this facade then that I was afraid someone's going to find out who I really am and pull the rug out from under me. Someone's going to find out I'm not as spiritual as they think I am. I'm not as well-read. I'm not as educated. I'm not as smart. I'm not. And you fill in the blanks. Because I had this traditional view of here's what a pastor ought to be, ought to study, ought to sound like, ought to look like, all that stuff. And I just, I was failing miserably, successful in ministry, but inwardly failing miserably with this fear of someone's going to walk in and find out who I really am, and the charade's over. Instead of saying, Chris, this is who God made you to be. And I was, in that time, I was learning what type of leader I was, but 
what I found out, I was learning more of, no, this is the type of leader you're not. And if you're going to live in this skin, you better like who you are and come to grips with that. And that is, that's my attitude now. I was like, look, I, you know, I spoke at that, um, the leadership summit, Willow Creek. And they're like, just dress as you are. And I'm like, seriously? And they're like, no, dress how you want to dress. And so I came out with my flip-flops. And I had staff saying, no one's ever worn flip-flops on this stage before. And I was like, well, they told me just to show up as I am. And then two sessions before mine, I had a guy approach me and said, hey, we've got a large store just down the street, a Nordstrom's. If I have your shoe size, I'm going to bring you back two different pairs of shoes. You can choose which one you want to go with. And I was like, are you telling me I have to wear shoes? They're like, no, we just were told the flip-flops is all you brought with you. And I said, that wasn't a mistake. It's not like I forgot my shoes at home. (laughs) These are my shoes. And they looked at me like, you're going to wear those on stage. And I'm like, well, don't tell me to be who I am. If you're saying, no, you got to go to Nordstrom's first. Because now to be all things to all people, if you go, hey, to reach our audience, you need to go to Nordstrom's first. I'll go there. I'll buy clothes. I'll tuck the tags in because I'm going to return them. Um, But I'll wear them for your day. (laughs) And I think when leaders find out who they're not and they can just say, look, here's the expectations I'm not going to meet. Um, but this is who I am. David gets out. Saul says, here's the armor you need to be a warrior. And David says, I can't wear that. I know that's the expectation. But my rearview mirror says, God does well with me when I'm just a shepherd with lions and bears, with a club and with a sling. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to step out against all the expectations because I know who I am. But more importantly, I know who I'm not. You, to me, have always seemed consistent about the health of leaders. And I consider this part of that. But when I first met Chris, I'm I'm doing production work. I saw him backstage. Chris was like always concerned about, hey, how are you doing with like your time off? How's your family? And Chris, I've always detected you've been passionate about like the holistic health and well-being of pastors. So I see that as one part. But I also think you have a lot of opinions about how much they take on. Mm -hmm the quality trap, if you will, like how well things have to be. Um, would you just speak to to that? Because I think you tend to challenge leaders a lot in those areas, and it's really important. Yeah, and I think a lot of it was my heart on, on the journey. I traveled and saw what I could and couldn't do, and then being paired these last 14 years with my co-pastor, Larry Osborne, author of, of Sticky Teams and Spirituality for the Rest of Us. Amazing. Just I think the most amazing leadership mind in Christianity today, I really do. And just finding so much of the language he was speaking is what my heart was speaking. And for 14 years putting this together now going, oh, you can actually do this. Where you cannot build a healthy church unless you have a healthy team. And it is impossible to build a healthy team unless you're a healthy leader. And yet it seems like most conferences are focused on how to build a church, how to reach people, how to grow things, where it's like, no, just work on yourself. Be healthy. And then whatever it is that God created you to do, you will do, you know, but you've got to be healthy and then the rest will take care of itself. And then if you're healthy, you're going to enjoy the benefits, fulfilling that, and you're going to make sure your team's healthy. And if you've got a healthy leader and a healthy team, I promise you, your church will be healthy. But I've seen a lot of successful churches that aren't healthy. They don't have a healthy staff and they don't have a healthy leader. And uh, I think it's far more important to have health and success. And so there's a whole lot that leaders take on that we shouldn't. And I, I hear a whole lot of, this is going to get me in trouble. Yeah, but I don't care. I hear a whole lot of leaders frustrated, especially pastors about burnout and their expectations and what they have to do. And I'm like, you create that pastor. Mm. And we create this holy myth that it's not a real function unless the pastor's there. It's not communion unless the pastor's doing it. You don't have a baptism unless the pastor's there. You're not, and I'm like, well, then you've set yourself up for failure. And I believe this whole idea of having sabbaticals, 
you know, oh, we need to have a sabbatical. I go, that's ridiculous. Why don't you work healthy so you never have to have a sabbatical the rest of your life? Why do you want to have burnout for nine years so you can take three months off just to go back and try to burn out for nine years? Um, I don't think that's a healthy model at all. And I see our businessmen and women in our church, they hear the pastors going on sabbatical, and they're sitting there going, seriously? Right. You know how long I've been working with GE? No one's ever freaking given me a sabbatical. And they look at our job and go, oh, what, you got to pray with some people every now and then? Really? <laughs> you ever tried leading this company? And so I think it's just even a poor leadership model to stand in front of people and go, oh, you don't know how many hours that I pray for you. And it's like, shut up, Pastor. <laughs> Uh, we have a growth group model where we try to get all of our church into small groups. And the small group that meets in my living room, every one of those guys in that small group, I think they outwork me. I tend to think I work pretty hard, but the guy that owns his own little real estate you know, company with four agents, man, he's working all the time. My buddy that works at the desk at Wells Fargo, man, he's working all the time. I got another guy with construction, another guy owns a small electronics you know, business, and uh, I look at just the hours those guys work, and I never complain as a pastor. Mm. I set up my own time, my own schedule. The problem is a lot of pastors don't know how to say no to great opportunities. Yeah. And if you read Jesus looking for that, you realize Jesus disappointed people most of the time, and that's a leadership model. So let me play like the skeptic pastor who's out there going, Chris, it sounds so good. It seems so idealistic, but like, how do you implement that when you've got real tensions to manage, you've got real issues that you're facing, how are you guys actually implementing that ideology? Yeah, because I hate the theoretical and the philosophical, sure. this is the way it should be. And I'm like, I don't even think you work at church, you know? <laughs> um, I go back to Mark chapter one, early in the morning, long before dawn, Jesus got up and he went to a lonely place and he prayed. And the disciples came looking for him saying, master, the entire town has gathered. And Jesus says, let's go to the nearby towns and villages and preach the word because that is why I've come. And so we have this cool thing that's been talked to me about, oh, your need for quiet time. You should wake up before the sun and you should be reading and writing and journaling. And I'm like, I don't do all three. I don't wake up early, I don't read, and I don't write. So I'm like, man, once again, I make a lousy <laughs> Jesus. But I realized there was something more important than just a, a time with God modeled there. He stayed up the entire night before healing people casting out demons, healing the blind, the demon-possessed, the lame, the crippled, and word got out. So the next morning, everyone with a real need, for the first time in their life, they found there could be salvation for this, has lined up with their son or daughter, their ailment. And Jesus says, we got to get out of here before those people find out where I'm at. And it never dawned on me until I sat there. I tried to enter the story all the time and look at it from different angles. And one day I was just watching that story in my head and I realized someone had to go back and tell a line of people. And it was a good sized group. I mean, the whole town, granted if they're in Capernaum, maybe 200, 250 people, but still surrounding villages are 10 to 15 minutes away. There's a knock on the door at 3 a.m. telling a father, your little girl may be able to walk. You've been carrying her for the first nine years of her life, but there's a guy that is fixing that and so, of course, dad wakes up the girl. By daylight, they're off. A 15, 20-minute walk. He carries her. He's standing in line with his daughter. And someone has to come back and say, um, Jesus isn't showing up. And their response had to have been, no, no, no. We sent the disciples. They said they know where he's at. They said they're going to bring him back. Yeah, they, uh, they found Jesus, and they told him you were here and that you've been holding your daughter for the last two hours. And Jesus just doesn't have time for you today. Well, something really important must have come up. No, he's just walking to another town. And there's a line of people that are told, he knows you're here. That's not what he's about. 
And that's chapter one, as if from the very beginning, Jesus laid out, let me tell you, if you don't set your schedule and agenda, the crowd always will. Hmm. You better set your agenda. Because if you're a young pastor or an old pastor, a church of 50, 500 or 5,000, and if you don't set, this is what I work and what I don't, the needs always will. There's always a marriage in crisis. There's always a family that's on burnout. There's always something that's come always in my life. And so you're going to call, and I have to talk to Chris, and you're going to hear Holly, an amazing partner I have in ministry, and she's going to say, I'm sorry, um, he has a meeting, or he has an event that night. My husband, oh, but my husband said Chris is the only pastor he'll talk to. You know, in our marriage, we're going to get a divorce, but he's one last effort, he'll talk to Chris. And, you know, we both work till 6. Is there any way? I'm sorry. We have next Thursday at 10 a.m. Well, no, we both work. And see, I don't know if you guys ever go to the dentist. You both have a nice smile, so it looks like it. But my bet is you don't go to your dentist at 7 o'clock at night. You have to take an hour off work. Mm -hmm. And all of my church people take an hour off to go to the dentist. No one goes to the dentist after hours. But the dentist is more important than the pastor. The pastor has to meet us after work. If your teeth are more important than your soul, then I just really don't desire to meet with you. Mm -hmm. If your marriage is important, you both take that hour off, and you're going to come in and you're going to meet, and we're going to find a time. But if I meet with your family and then their family and their family every night after five or after six, my family is the one in crisis. And yet you can't tell people because their crisis is their crisis. And so you can't tell people, well, Chris is watching TV. You say, Chris has an event that night. Now, my event that night is I'm playing Wii with my 10-year-old boy because mm. we got a little bowling competition going on on Wii. That's my event. Mm. If you're going to be a big L leader, you have to learn with low-level disappointment, not your disappointment. People will be disappointed with you and frustrated at you. And if you can't live with disappointment, get out of leadership. Jesus disappointed the crowd so much they killed him, and somehow we forget that. They didn't kill him because they loved him and they knew he was about to do this for salvation. They killed him because he was not the type of Messiah that they expected. They killed him because they did not like what he was teaching against their life. And it's a leadership art of disappointment that's not talked about much. So when I was a campus pastor at a university, the 60-hour weeks became 70-hour weeks. We had our second child. And I immediately realized two or three more years of this, we will become that casualty that I swore we would never be. Mm -hmm. And I left the best job in the world for the sake of a family and kids. And I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. And I told my wife, I want to do ministry. For the rest of my life, you choose where I work and you choose how I work. And if you allow me to do ministry, I'll allow you to choose those two things. So my wife picked the church and my wife picks how I work. And when I explain that to pastors, they say, <laughs> Man, if I told my wife that, she'd make me quit. And I'm all, then there's your answer, isn't it? Mm. You better get your act in order because obviously you're not doing this healthy. My wife loves how I work and where I work. Mm. And events like Thrive come up and I ask her, do I go or not? Do I hang in or not? How much have I been gone? And she's like, get out of here. You're having a blast right now. Go enjoy yourself. Take four of the staff. You guys are going to be crazy. And I think there's an art of living with a line of disappointed people that we forgot, and it's in chapter one, and it runs throughout scripture. And so I would tell the pastor, you schedule your time, and you have got to learn to be selfish. For three years, I stopped golfing and I stopped fishing because I only had time for ministry and I only had time for family. And I thought, I can't golf. I can't fish. I don't have the funds and time to do. Those are day-long activities. And in the midst of that, I lost who I was. Mm. I lost the fun guy. I lost liking me. And... Uh, I'm like, I never want to get back to not liking me again. Yeah. What's the team dynamic that you would maybe challenge or, or encourage 
from your perspective and from your experience? Because what you're talking about is the personal side. Yeah. How have you managed or been able to create that within the church as the co-pastor and somebody who is, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're sitting in the captain's chair yeah. or one of them with the team? Because it's one thing to do that for yourself, and then have you developed it? I think the beauty the is, as a leader, if you can do this for yourself, the joy is making sure your team does this too. And you set the standard and go, you watch how I live and work, guys. That's how you're going to do it. And so my job is to hold people back, not to spur people on. If you have the right people and it's healthy, I mean, that's, that's my job on the team. I'm constantly, look, how long are you working? Man, how come you're doing this again? And they're serious. So you want to get in trouble with me as a senior pastor, you work yourself too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you start showing up at everything, and you're going to get on a short list with me in a hurry. Ministry is going to take care of itself. And we're going to do a lot better with healthy people over 10 years than we can burning everybody out for the next two to three years. And so I'd rather be a glacier than an avalanche. You know, an avalanche happens quick, and it moves mountains, and you're like, that was amazing. It destroys a lot of stuff in the process. A glacier you don't see move, but over time it creates the Grand Canyon. And I would rather go healthy long-term for 20, 30 years then burn people out for three to five and great programs, you know, huge holiday events and have a staff that's smoldering and go, I want to run this as a marathon. And so the position I get to sit on now is saying, how do I create fun for our team? Um, I won't be able to outpay a lot of churches, but I guarantee I will out-relationship you and I will outfund you if you're on our team. Mm-hmm. I guarantee that 100%. And my goal is the day you leave North Coast, your wife or husband will divorce you. That's my goal. Um, your family will hate you. Um, your kids will refuse to leave, mm. and your spouse will still stay. So you can go work at another church. We'll take care of your family. Mm. I want to love you and your family in such a way where the wife and the kids say, we ain't going. Where the husband and the kids say, babe, I don't want you to leave. This has been the best spot for us. But they're paying more money. It ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. And so that's what we try to do. We set up staff fun days. We rent out um, Dave and Buster's, and we just go for two hours, unlimited play cards, and we just goof off. And then we rent the Chinese buffet right next door. So after two and a half hours at Dave and Buster's, we walk over and we have an hour Chinese and sushi buffet, and it's a staff fun day. And it's like, that's what we're going to do. And we took 215 people, our staff, to that. We run out of bowling alley, and we, everyone walks in, and you get a lane number and a number. And so I'm number six on lane 15. And then you have you can bowl one frame open however you want. Then one, one frame is bowled with socks on your hand. One is done blindfolded. One is done as a robot. It's just dumb stuff to laugh at each other. And every two frames, we switch numbers. Go, all the sixes go two lanes to the left. All the fours go one lane to the right. So you're constantly switching with staff and just laughing at each other. Um, we ran out the miniature golf course. And it's amazing. You're like, whoa, it's a big church. You got to let them. You can do this with five people, guys. Right. And it's amazing what a bowling alley will give you at 10 a.m. on a Wednesday in a school day. Mm. It's amazing how much the Family Fun Center lets us do miniature golf. 200 staff miniature golf out of Thursday at 10 a.m. They're like, there ain't no one here. Because they're like, well, it's $7.99 a person. I'm like, look, shut up. This place is empty. I drive by it every day. Exactly. Yeah. I said, look what I'm going to give you. I'm, I'm going to do this for $4 a person. You're going to be happy. We're going to run the whole thing. And they're like, okay. I'm like, thank you. But you still have you, all, all your type A's, your drivers, your, your people who are overly ambitious. We've gotten rid of still, most of them. But yeah, we got a couple. But, but, you, but they're still leaning in. Yeah. It's not like you have a bunch of below average people hanging around going, man, we love this because the expectations here are so low. 
and we're just going to be below average. So I get that a lot. I, I, like I'll do my, I'm going to do a breakout session on this, and I'm going to go through our, our staff Sabbath days, our staff training days, our staff fun days, our staff, you know, all our staff lunches. And they're like, well, my gosh, I mean, you got a bunch of people then that are lazy. I'm like, no, 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 no. We don't, one, we don't hire lazy people, right. and you're held accountable to how you work. What we do is hire A-plus players and give them the best environment they've ever played in, and we hold them back. And we flat out tell them, uh, we want you to run at 70%. We don't want you to do 100% of what you can do. Because my bet is you can run at 100% for three to five years. But if we can throttle you back to 70%, I bet we can keep you for 30 years. And very few leaders are trying to tell great leaders how to throttle back. They're trying to tell them how to pursue everything. And we've got this myth that you're supposed to live up to your potential. I think one of the most dangerous things a leader can do is live up to their potential. You live out your calling, not your potential. Jesus's potential was to go further than three years. Jesus's potential was to set up a spiritual kingdom that changed everything here on earth within a matter of a 10-year period. That was his potential. He was God. He lived out his calling. See, his potential was to go back and heal everybody in that line. His calling was, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to teach. And somewhere we've misunderstood leadership as fulfilling all of your potential. That's a great military slogan. It is killing us and our families and our spouses and our kids. And so we really try to get our team to see, I don't care what your potential is. Here's your calling. Jesus hangs on the cross and says, it is finished. And it's one of the most strangest oxymorons in context. What's finished? The only followers left are a couple women at the foot of the cross. Your crack leadership team of 12 <laughs> all deserted you. One came back to curse you, and one committed suicide. And he's like, well, I've done all that I'm supposed to do. And you're like, <laughs> that was one of the biggest losers in leadership ever if you look at potential. Jesus realized I did what I was called to do. And I found the first 15 years of my ministry, I was trying to live out my potential. And I feel like now I'm living out my calling. And so, yeah, it's flip-flops. I'm a storyteller with a sense of humor. I'm not a great administrator. I'm a big personality. I'm a catalytic motivator. I'm a fun locker room guy to be in. And that's what I'm going to do. And there's a whole lot I'm not. And I tell other people they have to do it or they don't want me involved because I'll be terrible at it. And I'm having more fun than I've ever had in my life. I want to rewind that last five minutes and just sit in that. So if you're listening, you know, you might hit that rewind button. Yeah. Just take it back a few minutes and listen to what Chris just said, because that is powerful. The idea that your job as a leader is to potentially throttle back your type A's, not push them forward and ask for more out of them. That's really, really Amazing. insightful. It's, it's NASCAR. You can do the pedal to the metal, you can mm -hmm. run it, you can burn tires, you can come in for a couple quick pit stops as much as you can, and you can get a great race day out. But those things were not meant to run long term. And uh, we mm -hmm. run churches and ministry and staff like NASCAR. We are going and going and going, and we do these little pit stops to get people refreshed, to put some tires on, just to get them back out and go again. And I go, guys, that's a great day. That's not a legacy. Mm. And we're running our leadership as if we're having some great days instead of legacies. So, Well, thanks for your time, man. We could uh, sit here for hours and yes. sit at the wise feet of the... <laughs> of if, the... If, if, if Last thing, you and Larry, because Larry's kind of like Yoda. Does that make you... Mm -hmm. Luke? 
Or you Obi-Wan? No. I'm like one of those no. little robots in the bar that was put together with a bunch of jacked up pieces. <laughs> and droids. it's just a background. And you're looking at it going, <laughs> man, someone slapped that sucker together. Right. But he's dancing on the bar. <laughs> you're in the little cantina, the little Star Wars cantina. He is in the Star Wars cantina. <laughs> right. you, and, you and Yoda That'd hanging out first. together. You and Yoda hanging out together down in San Diego. Uh, how can folks stay in touch with you? What's the best way to find you? You know what? There's... Uh, PastorChrisBrown.com has all my info and social media. There's nothing for sale there. It's just a bunch of free stuff, especially those of you that want to get into storytelling. There's some tips on storytelling. There's a lot of messages on storytelling. So PastorChrisBrown.com gets you onto, I think, my Instagram, my Twitter, and our church. Everything just goes right through there. Highly recommend Chris's Instagram. I find his stories quite amusing. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for being here. Thanks, guys. Love what you do. man. I don't know about you, CJ, but I'm ready to go to a NASCAR race. I will never right look at NASCAR the same way. I think it's a brilliant analogy. And really I think is. Chris, he hits the nail on the head, man. People are running way too hard for way too long. And this is something that is like, if I'm getting passionate about it right now, it's because it's something that is at the core of what we're trying to do here. Just help point leaders in healthy directions so that their teams can thrive. He said, can't be a healthy church, but you got healthy leaders and healthy teams. I agree hundred percent. Yeah. And I think one of the practical things of stepping out of that conversation is figuring out what does it look like to reward people and give them room to run at 70% in your yeah. organization? Because it's easy to see the hard workers. Sometimes it's a little harder to actually see the people who are dialing it back appropriately right. to a 70% throttle. And so you got to figure out in your organization, what does that look like? How do you reward that? How do you actually present it in a way that it feels healthy? Because, mm-hmm. you know, what works for North Coast and for Chris, you can learn from that, but you also want to make sure it's appropriate and it's real and it's reflecting your culture within your organization. Because a lot of times if you said, hey, staff meeting's coming up on Monday. I just heard this conversation with Chris Brown. We're going to walk in on Monday and tell everybody to go 70% on the throttle. Right. They're going to look at you cross-eyed, half of them, and go, I don't know what that means. So you have to think about this as the leader and figure out, okay, how do we show that? How do we validate that? Yeah. How do we create an example for it? And then how do we reward it and make sure that we're creating still a way to see that and explain it and live it out where it doesn't just totally throw you off kilter? Yeah, because the end goal is to keep these leaders effective and create a legacy, like he was saying. The end goal is keep you in the game longer. So it makes a lot more sense to pitch that to your team and to your leadership. Glacier compared to an avalanche. Yes. What about this idea about potential Potential compared to calling. Yeah, I'm going amazing. Our culture celebrates trying to redline everything. We love productivity hacks. I know I do. Mm -hmm. No judgment there. We love that stuff. I think he just had a really interesting take on that. And as soon as you get in your calling, your potential comes alive mm. compared to you're your seeking out ways and avenues and lanes and new expressions of potential that will lead you to your calling. Mm-hmm. That's why calling is so important early in, in your life. Because once you figure it out and at least have a direction you're headed, you know the riverbanks you're supposed to be in, it gives you way more confidence and it actually allows for contentment to be the expression on your life. And so many of us, we we're constantly trying to validate something in our life, which Chris talked about, that may not even be true, based on bumping into these new sort of paradigms of potential, right. compared to, no, we're just staying in our calling. But the evidence for me, the visual representation of that, when I sit around Chris Brown, is him, again, walking in, or Thrive Conference, he's on stage, in front of 4,000 leaders, and he's wearing a golf shirt, 
some flip-flops, and a pair of old beach shorts. Yeah. And that is Chris Brown living out his calling, not trying to like live up to potential. Right. Or some image or something. Or something that he, you know, saw in somebody else or comparison or whatever. Right. And a lot of you are, you're hearing that and you're going, oh, I'd never do that. Come on. Seriously, you do it every Sunday. You do it every staff meeting. You do it, you know, every time you're standing in front of people, you're, you're looking around going, hey, where's that outfit that makes me feel more confident? Or where's that sermon from Andy Stanley that can make me sound more knowledgeable right. or, or it, whatever that is. Yeah. And, you know, it, it happens to all of us. I'm as guilty as anybody. So we're just leaning back into that premise that calling the sweet spot of who we are is the place where we can best be who God's designed us to be. I think one of the other things I hope leaders really hear, maybe even go back and rewind the podcast to listen to Chris articulate how Jesus left some ministry on the table, Mm. if you will. You know, when he talked about Jesus going away and praying, I think a lot of leaders struggle with this idea saying no, feeling like if they're there this particular time and place, that it's their duty, Brad, to do everything. And so I hope if you're listening to this, you kind of get back to that and just listen to it again and and let that kind of seep through your thinking. That's great. Well, thanks again to Chris Brown. You can follow him, pastorchrisbrown.com. Yep. Because if you type in Chris Brown, you may get a different guy. You think they're going to the the entertainer? You think they're going to end up on his website? There could be a good chance that people just follow Chris Brown, the R&B singer. If you're following Chris Brown, the R&B singer, that's okay. We would recommend that you follow Pastor Chris Brown. <laughs> we highly recommend that. We highly recommend. Although we like the other guy. Chris the other Brown. guy's great. Yeah, yeah. he's good. He's, yeah, good. Yeah. he's got a couple good tracks. Yeah. All the nuggets we discussed are coming from Pastor Chris Brown. That's exactly right. So thanks again to Chris Brown. ThriveConference.org. Rate, review, subscribe. Mm-hmm. At CJ Alvarado. That's right. A-L-V-A-R-A-D-O. Exactly. At Brad Lominick. L-O-M-E-N-I-C-K. We're hooked on phonics today, people. <laughs> and if you want to reach us via email, it's easy. It's podcast at thriveconference.org. We'd love to hear from you guys. Reminder about Thrive Conference coming up 2018. Yes, it's going to be an incredible conference. Yeah, I'm sure Chris Brown is going to be there. Chris Brown's going to be that's there. A pretty good, that's a pretty good prediction, right? That Chris yeah. Brown is Chris going to be Brown, part of Chris Brown, he's part of the tribe, you know? Yeah. He's going to be there. Chris Brown's going to be there. We've got Scott Harrison, CEO of Charity Water, is going to be there. Yes. Good friend Albert Tate. Hello. It's going to be a good lineup. Highly recommend you go to thriveconference.org. Check all that out. May 3rd through 5th mm-hmm. of the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, 2018. So put that on your calendar, folks. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be epic. It's going to be great. That's a great way to to be part of the Thrive community, as well as listen to this podcast, as well as going on to the website and actually subscribing to the newsletter. Yes. Because you're putting stuff in people's inboxes that they need to see. I'm glad and, you mentioned that. And pay attention to. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because there's a lot of effort going into that. Incredible thinkers like Francis Chan, all the way to some business guys. We got you know new guys like Wes Gay. You know Wes, who's yep. an incredible writer, millennial expert contributing to Forbes. There's some really, really good content there that you get to right to your inbox. And here's the great thing. Four letters, which are the lifeblood of most leaders I know. F-R-E-E. Woo! Free. Free. Just like this podcast. It's worth every dollar that you're spending on this podcast, right? We can say that we're worth exactly what you're spending, which is Can nothing. we? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being a part. Thanks for being on the journey. 
We can't wait to talk to you again soon. Until next time, this is the Thrive Leadership Podcast. The Thrive Leadership Podcast is hosted by CJ Alvarado and Brad Lominick and is produced by Kip Johns. To download and share this and other Thrive podcasts, go to thriveconference.org.